1: Hallelujah! Hello everyone everywhere, this is Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith for this day. Uh, We're having some technical difficulties, but praise be to God. Uh, The Lord is faithful, and we can overcome all obstacles in the name of Jesus. And we are here right now, live again today, bringing you the Word of God. Just thanking the Lord for all that he is doing for us and through us and by us. For it's through and by him that we get the victory. Amen. Glory to God. Let's go to the Lord with a word of prayer and we'll go ahead and get started for today's broadcast. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you and praise you for all that you are doing for us. Glory to God, we thank you that this day and every day we can lift up the name of Jesus in total and complete victory. Lord, thank you for your word that gives us the victory. Lord, have your way with this broadcast today, and we thank you that in the name of Jesus, your word goes forth and accomplishes what you please and prospers where you send it. And to you we give honor, glory, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Today I want to talk to you for just a few minutes about being steadfast, being determined. You see, when uh, you face obstacles that are in front of you, sometimes it's real easy to look at the obstacle as being too great to overcome. Even though you know the end result is where you want to be and what you want to have, too many times we look at it and say, ah, oh, it's just impossible for us to do. And you quit. I want to show you today from the Word of God how God views people who refuse to give up and the reward that awaits them now to do this I need to lay a little bit of groundwork we're gonna to go to first Kings and we're gonna to go to chapter 19 this is when you know the Elijah has already taken the uh, he's already killed all of the prophets of Jezebel and I'm not going to take the time to go through that story. I'll just recap it real quick. That, you know, Basically, Elijah comes and says, Look, God's not happy. Your nation, you, you are leading the people astray. It's time for you to choose who you're going to follow. If Baal is God, then follow him. If Jehovah Yahweh is God, follow him. And the people were like, okay, yeah, this sounds like a you know, good contest. Because he, he challenged the prophets of Baal to a test. He gave them first credit. You pick the ox, you pick which alder you want to use. And whoever can call down fire in the presence of all the people, let that person be God. And they took him up on the challenge. And all day long they were... Offering sacrifices to their God, but nothing happened. Then Elijah gets up, takes the water, thoroughly soaks the altar so there could be nobody, you know, that could say, Oh, so and so threw a match on it or something like that. He made sure it was an impossibility for any external force to light that fire. It had to be from God, and God did. He answered Elijah's prayer. All the people fell face first on the ground saying, Yahweh God, he is God. And then Elijah had them take all of the prophets of Baal and kill every one of them. Word of this got back to Jezebel. These were her prophets. And she threatened Elijah by saying, by tomorrow at this time, you'll be dead just like they are. So Elijah and I still... Look at this in amazement. You'd think he'd be floating on cloud nine, like you know. Come on, woman, you want some more? Let's let's see who's God is God. Instead, he turns tail and runs out into the wilderness, and he just doesn't run a little ways. He runs and runs and runs and runs and runs and runs, and that's where we find him in chapter nineteen. In verse 4, he ran a whole day's journey into the wilderness, was taking a nap under a juniper tree, basically saying, you know, I just want to die. Forget it. It's not worth it. Serving the Lord isn't worth all of this hassle. As he lay sleeping under the juniper tree, in verse 5, an angel touched him and had provided supernatural food for him to eat. And... He did. He went back to sleep. The angel touched him again a second time and said, Get up and eat, because the journey you're about to take is too great for you. He didn't say it was too far. He said it was too great. The journey you're about to go on is too great for you to do in your own strength. So God was providing supernatural provision for supernatural strength. For a supernatural job. Amen? And then he went 40 days and 40 nights in the strength of the provision that he was given all the way to Mount Horeb. And he came there and lodged in a cave. And the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? In other words, you are where I wanted you to be. What are you doing here? And Elijah basically goes into a pity party before God. It's only me that's left. I've served you my whole life. God, now they want to kill me, and I'm the only one left. Just kill me and take me to heaven. And the word of the Lord in verse 11 says, Go and stand forth at the entrance to the cave. That says, Behold the Lord, this is in first Kings 19, verse eleven. Behold the Lord passed by. And there was a great and strong wind ripping the mountains, breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind there was an earthquake. The Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. Now, let's stop right there for a second. Some people believe, and scientists have theoretically proven this. I'm just going to lay it out there for you to consider. In, ph- in physics, there's what's called quantum physics. And the basis of the quantum physics is what's called a string theory. And basically it says that there are seven, I believe it's seven, dimensions. No, I'm sorry, there's nine. Nine dimensions. And we only operate in four of them. Up, down, left, right. Is two, uh, time is one. Uh, I guess it's forward and back, left, up, down, left, right, forwards and backwards is the three plus time. Those are the dimensions that we as human beings are limited to. And a lot of people are looking for these, lack of a better term, portals to the other dimensions. And the string theory in quantum physics says that what NASA has deemed as wormholes could possibly be portals to these other dimensions. And they have several, many, many theoretical portals on the earth where Paranormal activity takes place where people are seeing things coming and going. They reference it to Jacob's ladder, where when he was in Bethel and he laid sleeping, he had a vision of angels ascending and descending from God. Uh, when Moses was at the burning bush, God appeared to him through traveling through the dimensions through which God resides into the present for Moses and scientists say if you think of the dimension that we live in as a flat piece of paper and you're on that paper and everything that you know is in the thickness of that paper and someone or something was to bring say a pencil down to interact with you on that paper all you would see is a point approaching And then it would be on that paper as a portal. And then as the pencil passed through and completed its journey through the paper, then the hole would close up. You don't have a conceptual understanding of the actual dimensional aspects of the pencil. All you see is the point, and then the portal, and then it's gone. And there are many instances in the Bible that talk about that. And a lot... I can't say a lot. There are many people who are saying in the end days when uh, the gates of hell are open and you know the, the all the demons come, that it is a portal that is giving them entry. Now, I said all that to get to this point. A lot of people say that the portals are representative of whirlwinds. Because it's a a whirling, massive, physical interaction with the Earth because it's disrupting the normal space-time sequence that we live in. And here, they use this story as an example of what they're talking about. Because here you see... A great strong wind just ripping the mountains apart as God is interacting with his man. But God's not in the portal. The portal is what's ripping the mountains apart. And then after that there was a great earthquake because the the physical location of the mountain in this space-time continuum, you could say, is being ripped apart the natural aspects are being ripped apart their basic foundations are being destroyed so now there's an earthquake and then the fire and the fire is an all consuming fire and after that there's peace and quiet After all of that supernatural destruction takes place, and the Bible is very clear to say God was not in any of that, but there was a still, small voice, kind of like a whisper. And Elijah could hear it in his very being. And what did that still, small voice say? what are you doing here, Elijah? You're not where I want you to be. And once again, even after all that you just seen, Elijah goes into this pity party and says, I quit. I'm done. And God says, okay. Go, in verse 15, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you come there, Anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat and abel you shall anoint to be prophet in your room or in your place. He'll take over your job. And it shall come to pass that him that escapes the sword of Hazel, Jehu shall slay. Him that escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall slay. For I have yet left me 7,000 men in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. See, Elijah thought he was the only one. But instead of operating on faith, he just asked God, I quit, remove me from my office. God's like, okay. If you don't want to do this, I'm not going to make you. But here's what I do want you to do. And if you continue to study this throughout, Elijah failed to do what God told him to do. The only thing he did was went and hunt down Elisha to anoint him to take his place. He failed to do the other two things. And this cost Israel dearly. And if you continue reading, Elisha is the one who went and anointed Haziel to be king over Syria. Elisha is the one who anointed Nimshi to be king over Israel. But thousands, tens of thousands of people died because Elijah failed to do his job that God told him to do. That's not the point of the story today, but what I want you to see is, if you don't do what God tells you to do, people die as a result. Now, the, what I want to get to is the anointing of Elijah. It's the only thing Elijah did do, which is supposed to be the third in line according to the instructions God gave to Elijah. But instead, he just forgot about the other two, and he went to find his replacement. Now, who is this Elisha? Let's look at that. In verse 19. Now remember, God just got there telling him, go anoint Hazel, go anoint Jehu, then go find Elisha verse 19 the very first thing Elijah does is in verse 19 he departed there and went and found Elisha the son of Shaphat and Elisha was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him and he was with the twelfth one now I just want you to stop right there and conceptualize this in your mind. I've been to foreign countries where they used ox to plow their fields. Usually it's one. Sometimes it might even be two. Elisha had 12 oxen plowing this field. I've seen, I've never actually gotten behind a plow with an ox tied to it, but I've sat there and watched these farmers. And they are having a time of controlling the ox, making sure that there's enough weight on that plow through bricks and rocks, and they're standing on it, and they keep egging on that ox, so it pulls that uh, plow with them on it chopping up the ground, getting it all turned over. And this is ground that has been farmed for years. And they're still having a time of it. And then maybe particularly rough ground, they might have two oxen tied to that yoke. Makes it a little bit easier. But the reason they have two is because it's tough ground. How hard is this ground that Elisha is trying to plow up that he has to have 12 ox tied to that yoke? Pulling that yoke. How hard is it? He must have been trying to plow concrete. Think about that. I mean, here he is plowing an area, obviously, That no person has ever plowed before. He is determined to have a crop in that hard ground. He is determined to take the ground that nobody else has ever plowed before. And he is determined. Not only is he going to plow it and turn it into a fruitful field. He's going to have a harvest. That's the type of person. God wants to use. That's the type of person God says. That's a man after my own heart right there. He's going to go where no man has gone before. And he is going to do whatever it takes to prepare that hard ground to receive seed. Oh, glory to God. Do you get that? Matter of fact, let's go to Mark chapter 4. Hold your place there. Turn to Mark chapter 4. Hallelujah. Jesus is teaching in Mark 4 about the sower sows the word. And I'm going to skip the first part. I'm going to come down to where the disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? And he says in verse 11, unto you it's given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. In other words, it's given to you to know and understand how the kingdom of God operates in this earth. And he goes over to verse 13. Don't you understand this parable? How then will you know all the parables? Because they're all based upon the same concept. And then he says, verse fourteen: the sower sows the word. The sower doesn't sow financial seed to reap a financial harvest. Oh yeah, he you know you hear a lot of prosperity preachers talking about that. Oh, you you can only reap like kind that you sow if you sow strife you reap strife you sow money you reap money Jesus didn't say that when you sow finances you reap finances he said the true sower sows the word you may not have finances to impact a ministry in sowing the word I mean, if you could go up to a ministry and say, Hey, uh, I got $100,000 here I want to give to your ministry. I mean, they'll be rejoicing and thanking you for it. But what are you really doing? You are actually giving that ministry an opportunity to sow the Word of God into other people's lives. Now, whatsoever thing you sow, you shall receive again. A good measure pressed down. And the Bible says, Running over, men shall give into your bosom. So that thing which you sow, you shall receive again. This is where a lot of prosperity preachers say, You know, you sow finances, then you'll receive finances back, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together. And running over, men shall give money into your bosom. But Jesus says right here, when you sow, whatever thing, you, if all you do is give a cup of water to someone in the name of the Lord, that cup of water is helping them to sustain themselves so they can continue preaching the word. And that cup of water, you're not going to, I mean, you know, based upon their theory, or their theology, that cup of water, you should be drowning in a swimming pool by sundown. No, you give the cup of water in the name of a prophet shall receive the prophet's reward. What's the prophet's reward? Getting people born again. Representing God to the masses. So you give a cup of water to a prophet in the name of a prophet or we could say in the name of the Lord. You are sowing the word into that prophet's life because now he's able to sustain himself so he can keep on preaching. I have a cup of water right here that my wife gave to me. Because sometimes my throat will get dry. I'll take a drink like right now. And that allows me to keep on preaching. Glory to God. And what am I preaching? I'm preaching the word. So this cup of water is a seed that I receive in the name of Jesus that allows me to keep preaching the word. Amen. Amen. God will honor those who honor him. God will go ahead and take that water and count it as seed for the word. Now it may be that he'll bless you financially. But when he blesses you financially, it is not so you can take it easy and watch TV with no pain in your body, When he heals you, it's not so you can just kick back and relax on a beach and take it easy. Oh, I have to rest. No, it's so you can keep on preaching the word or supporting those that preach the word. Because the sower sows the word. Now, let's look at this. Verse 15. These are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they've heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their heart. Now what's he talking about here? Back over, just slide across. Verse 3. The sower went out to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. The birds of the air came and devoured it up. That's the path that everyone's been walking on. It's hard as a rock, hard as concrete. People just walk across it, but some seed fell there. The sower wanted to sow there. The sower is trying to reap a harvest there. Some of that seed he put on the hard ground, but he didn't take the time to prepare the hard ground to receive the seed. So he just wasted his seed. You see, before you can plant on hard ground, you have to prepare the ground to receive the seed.
0: Until Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
1: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost
0: track of time. (gasps) No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry.